Everything's turning up roses. You say yes, I say no. You say stop, and I say go, go, go. Oh no, you say goodbye, and I say hello. Welcome to Friars in the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me via Skype is Roy. Boy, times are changing. We're saying goodbye. We're saying hello to a whole you, bunch of people. You know, some say up, some say low. You say why? I say I don't know. I just made that shit up. No, it's, but I think we we have a pretty good idea of why. You know, right. we, we're not saying I don't know this time. There were other moves in the past where we're saying I don't know, but right now, this all makes a whole lot of sense. You know, uh, it, it, it's tough. You know, because we had there's so much. You know, we get to know some of these guys. You know, the Gabriel areas. Jason Rosario had been on the podcast. You guys got really close to him up in Lake Elsinore. And, you know, and Joey Cantillo. And just, you know, you have these guys trying to find roles with them, with the team. And you can't find any, you know. Um, So we say goodbye while we still say hello. Well, and I think part of what comes into play is the 40-man roster crunch that we were looking at after the season. So um, the first... So Trevor Rosenthal was traded for Edward Olivares. Edward Olivares was kind of an, a spare. I, I I don't want to say a spare piece, but he was a fourth or fifth outfielder. And it's I can see why there isn't a lot of room for him. But then the next move was Mitch Moreland for Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario. Those two guys both needed to be added to the 40 man roster to be protected from the rule five draft. Right. I think it's probably a good chance that both of them would have been left unprotected because there just isn't room. Right. But between all these moves, they traded away so many people and they cleared up all this roster space. At the same time, they filled the holes on the major league. This is what contending teams do. Yeah. Well, and and with Olivares, he really came out of kind of he had a really good year in double A. I mean, don't believe me, he he was knocking out of the park in double A, but he had yet to reach triple A and really made the team based on the the spring that he had and then the strong, strong showing in the summer camp and the COVID camp. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And he was a promising guy. But then at the big league level, I don't know if they had a lot of confidence in his in his defensive skills because we didn't see him play a whole lot, especially I I was expecting to see him in more of a platoon in center field. He hardly got any play out there. And then he was struggling with the bat. It just wasn't quite coming together, which it's he's a rookie. That makes sense. So then if you fast forward a month and a half where we're in a playoff hunt, do you want your backup center fielder to be a guy who's got two months of major league experience? Or would you rather have somebody who has a few years under his belt like Greg Allen? Now, I don't know if they had that all mapped out when they started these this whole domino fall of, of moves. But I feel a lot better if something happens that Greg Allen is the backup center fielder. If something were to happen or if they need a platoon situation or whatever, that makes a lot more sense. It, it does. And uh, with, with Olivares... You know, if you're not showing up in, you know, 10, 15 at bats, or you, you know, they're seeing stuff that maybe our untrained eye are not seeing, uh, where these at bats aren't as quality as, as they would anticipate. We don't have time to sit around and wait for them to come around. Uh, we right. Have, you know, we have plenty of guys that, you know, your Grisham who will go hot and cold. We can't have too many in that lineup go hot and cold or even, you know, have faith or trust in them to come in and be that fourth outfielder and produce right away. 
Like you said. Well, and when you've got you've got two catchers that you know, Austin Hedges, yeah. his have at, bat was starting to show some signs of life, but you know that he's not a hitter. Right. And Mejia is supposed to be the guy to hit for average, get on base, hit with some power, and that's not there. So it makes sense that they make a couple of moves to bring in a couple of, of catchers to fill those roles. It's just too bad that you had to let uh, Gerardo Reyes go yeah. in one trade and then a whole bunch of guys, including Taylor Trammell and Ty France, um, you know, and Luis Torrens go to in the other trade. But it, you're, you're filling short-term needs with long-term pieces that really aren't that solid of a fit. Right. Well, and, and think about the Taylor Trammell. They really got him thinking – you know, last year Myers was just was horrible. Um, we didn't have you know Manny Margot wasn't really that great. He's a decent fielder, but not solid at the plate. So they really got Tremel to like maybe take one of those spots. We didn't you know left field was a was a was a black hole with with uh, Hunter Renfro. So we really got him thinking that none of those guys were gonna you know just kind of like just in case. And maybe right. he would be a third outfielder. Um, and Tommy, so then you bring Tommy Pham in, but he's only here for another year, right? Uh, but I don't know how much faith they had that Trent Grisham was going to show up like he has yeah. this year. Yeah, so now he's looking like a legit long-term piece. Uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be some moves they have to make this offseason, next offseason to to fill out some depth. And there, there's always needs that spring up. But this team all of a sudden looks like they're in a position to make some make a whole lot of noise. They are making a whole lot of noise. They're winning player of the month and rookie of the month and, and player of the week second, twice in a row. I mean, just second eight. best record in baseball. I mean, this team needs, it's not, it's the time to go for it, yeah. but they didn't just go for it for this year. They also set up well for next year. Well, and this, this isn't just a short term all in push. And you can really see that in the trades, the guys that they got rid of the guys that didn't have, you know, that had to be added on the 40 men guys that really didn't have a role. I mean, I really liked having, um, Oh God, I got him right up here. Uh, Ty France, sorry, God, just like my brain went straight out of my head. Um, I really love the Ty France story. You know, the tie with Tony Gwynn. You know, the SDSU, mm-hmm. and you and he was a solid backup player. But once Cornerworth just, I mean, blew blew up out of out of nowhere, he soon found himself very scarce. Well, but then you've got the DH, and this year you have the DH. We're pretty confident that in 2022 they're going to have the DH. I bet you they're going to have it again next year. So that's where you have Josh Naylor and Ty France playing in there. Well, okay, they go out and they get Mitch Moreland, who is – I mean, he's one of the best hitters in baseball this year, and he's under team control again for next year. It – I, as soon as he came on board, I said, that's it. The, the playing time for both France and Naylor just vanished. Right up. Absolutely. I figured they would keep one of those two. They decided to move them both and they, they got value back for him. So it makes sense. And I'm, I'm going to be sad to see both of those guys yeah. go. I, Josh Naylor, we followed his story. I mean, Angela met him in Lake Elsinore right when he first came over, right after the, right after the uh, um, Andrew Kashner trade. Yeah. And so she's been his biggest fan. And, but he's now in a position where he's going to start in left field every single day. He has a chance to, so, and then Gabriel Arias, there's a good chance that Francisco Lindor is moving on. Yeah. So now he's going to step right in, whether it's second base, whether he's going to step in at shortstop, he has a very direct route to the majors that didn't exist with the Padres organization. Yeah. So I'm happy for all these guys. I'm just sad that they're not going to, Yeah. it's not going to happen in front of us. You know, and I was listening to the uh, the the MILB Pipeline podcast with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, you know, and they said Joey. You know, they're talking about Joey Cantillo, and you know, but you know, 
callous in his back east accent. I'm not sure where he's from, but he's like Joey Cantillo. <laughs> it's Cantillo. Um, uh, Joey, he said Cantillo instead of Cantillo. Uh, you know, call him a back of the rotation piece, and that's that's a that's a that's a good ceiling for him. You know, or a long it man is. or decent, you know, if, if you get up the velocity, you know, these guys that will see Major League Baseball time. Uh, they even, you know, they even, uh, Jim was talking about Jason Rosario, where at 20 years old, this kid could be a definitely a Major League piece in a few years if he continues to develop. Um, For sure. What I liked, what, what I thought was interesting is a few years back before we signed uh, Hosmer, Mitch Moreland was also a free agent. And right. there was some chatter of like, what, Miss Moreland is has all this production, has a better launch angle, and is going to come like half the price. And we wouldn't have to sign him for a hundred million dollars. Um, right. We ended up signing Hosmer and suffering for the last two years, and then Miss yeah. Moreland just went on to those one year deals with I think it was Boston two years in a row, um, <laughs> where he just quietly hit and played first base. Yeah, and Matt Adams was the other guy that was kind of in that conversation. Yeah, like, yeah, okay, there's a couple of guys that are a little older, but they're more affordable. There's consistent production where Hosmer's been up and down. Well, all of a sudden, Eric Hosmer is finally starting to look like somebody that can produce to his contract. Will Myers is looking much the same. Um, so, so one thing I find interesting is that now the Padres lineup is loaded with left-handers and switch-hitting guys. Yeah. Which we look back to that 2015 team, the last time they made this flurry of moves, and it was an entirely right-handed lineup. It was yeah. all right-handed pitching. So now there's a lot more balance on the roster. There's balance both righty-lefty in the in the lineup. There's balance between speed and defense. There's balance between uh, youth and experience. Yeah. Um, this this really does look on paper. It looks like a playoff team. My only concern right now is depth. But I guess with a 60-game season. You're not so concerned with depth as much. You, you look at the Dodgers, and they run like three deep at every position. Yeah. Where the Padres, you get a couple of guys out in the outfield, and next thing you know, you're looking up at Jorge Mateo, Greg Allen, and 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 Profar, uh, which you know, people like to crap on Profar. I just want to point out that since August 9th, Profar's been on a tear. Yeah, he's, he has been. So he's – you when people post the season stats of what our lineup is doing, and you see this this hole where Profar is, but then if you only look back for the last four weeks or so, he's more than holding his own. He's been he he's been more than I would have expected um, right now this season. Um, the one guy we haven't talked about really is Cal Quantrill. Yeah, and so he was kind of all. A, he was bounced around between roles. He was starting and then he was a swing man. Now it looked like he was going to be a late inning, you know, come in, get three outs guy. He's a starter. He's a starting pitcher. And in Cleveland, he's going to get that opportunity as well. So I'm happy for all those guys. But then I'm also excited for all these great guys that we got back. God, absolutely. You know, Clever just pitching right now. Um, God, he's going to be the king of OB. He's just going to be the mayor of Ocean Beach uh, within, a, oh. within a minute. I and mean, have you seen what Trevor Rosenthal's been doing all over Twitter? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's so much fun. He's having so much fun with this. And I mean, I, both of those guys seem like just a, a great fit. They walk in the door and it's like, this is where you guys are meant to be. Right. Having fun, uh, youthful, lots of energy. Uh, we forgot to mention that we're going to have Kyle Glazer on here in a little bit. And we're going to talk about minor leagues. We're going to talk about the trade, you know, the, the players. Uh, I have a lot of questions about what's going on with the alternate site. And, uh, you know, and how, where the state of the minor league PBA negotiations with Major League Baseball. But yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, just the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the Padre fan to me that just uh, holds on that, that 
20% of my heart just goes, it's not going to, you know, it, this, something's going to happen. Like, I don't know, like, like Tatis is going to blow a hammy or, or Hosmer's going to go back to killing worms. No, no, or, no, no, don't, don't put I, that out in the it, universe. It, it is. I, I, I had to get it out just so I can let it out of my head because that's where my brain goes to. It's like, things are going well and something's going to ruin it. And I'm not saying we're going to win the world series. I'm not going to say we're going to win every game outright because we are, we're not going to win every game. And, you know, it, it seems on Twitter where I think there's that expectation. You see us lose games by, you know, bullpen guys not performing or us not scoring runs with, you know, hitting guys in with, uh, you know, runners in scoring position. We're not going to win every game. So there are going to be things that are going to be glaring for us to lose, but that's just, ba- you know, that's by black. It's just baseball. Um, but I can't help but think the Dodgers are scared and the Dodger fans are scared because they're coming out chirping on Twitter with, well, you see the twer- chirping on Twitter, but you also see them. I, I saw it today. The, the, the blue heaven were those guys. I don't know what was going on with those guys. Oh, that, but that podcast, that video cast that geez, they have saying the coverage was a four or five on a real good team. Yeah. We'll see about that. Oh, come on. And then, and then people pull the numbers and since 2017, he's a top five pitcher. He's, I, I have my concerns about Clevenger. I, the, he's had an injury risk all along. Um, I, I do wonder if Trevor Bauer was able to keep him kind of, if he was able to get him on track and keep him there. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully the Padres coaching staff can, can, you keep him you whatever he needs to yeah. be happy yeah. and productive. So there's always the concern that you bring in this big guy and he doesn't perform, but we got to be hopeful. We got to be optimistic. Absolutely. You know? And your he's not, and I'm not going to put this out there, but you just got to think like it's baseball. So he's not going to throw a no hitter every game. He's not going to, he may not win the next, he's not going to win every start. You know what I mean? There's just going to be some bumps in the road. Cause that's just the way baseball is. Uh, no, but a good starting pitcher just keeps you in the game. Yeah. You know, so absolutely. if he can go out there and pitch six innings and give up two runs or less, that keeps the that keeps the offense in the game. You know, what we don't need now, uh Garrett Richards has straightened himself out, but those couple of starts that he had where he went out and threw like 40 pitches and barely got out of the first or second inning, that puts you in a bad position. Yeah. So having Zach Davies and hopefully Steve Clevenger in your in your in your rotation, hopefully that sets you up for that, where at least twice out of five guys, you're going to go deep into the game. You're going to save your bullpen. Yeah. And how long is that lineup? That lineup. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I said, Steve, I just realized I said, Steve Clevenger. I meant Mike Clevenger. <laughs> Steve Clevenger is a catcher that was with the Mariners a couple years back. I don't know if he's still in baseball. I always get those two backwards. Well, what about Aaron Nola and, and our Nola, the Nola brothers, Austin Nola. Yeah. I'm going to get that backwards a bunch of times too. And what I is with AJ and all the Austins? Why do they, you know, Austin, Austin, Austin. I think he didn't really, Hey, we'll trade hedges, but you know, we're going to have two Austins uh, in your head. Just so every time you say Austin, miserable Padre fan that you're going to, you're going to have to think of Austin. Hedges. Well, it's, Going back a year, I was excited to have Austin Allen and Austin yeah. Hedges as our catchers. Yeah. And even before that, I was looking forward to having Logan Allen and Austin Allen as our battery. Allen Allen. Yeah. I think that's something Jason Stark would have would have enjoyed. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's uh, let's bring on uh, Kyle Glazer here in a minute, and uh, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Travis Ehlers, and I'm a certified chiropractic sports physician. I've been in practice for 14 years, and I'm located at Oasis MD in Mira Mesa. I see patients 
anywhere from the weekend warrior to professional athletes, all the way to kids, pregnant women, basically anyone that has musculoskeletal conditions. So if you want any more information or would like to uh, see a chiropractor, you can locate me at 844-627-4763. That's my office number. Otherwise, you can get more information on my website, www.drtravisehealers.com. Otherwise, um, I have social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So just uh, look up my name, Dr. Travis Ehlers. Hey, we're joined here with Baseball America's Kyle Glazer. Um, literally, as I'm setting my phone up to record this podcast and call you, I see the tweet from AJ Casabell that Luis Camposano and friend of the podcast has been called up. Yeah, exciting times. I mean, Camposano's an incredibly talented young player. I remember going out to Lake Elsinore last year for their opening series uh, that April uh, against Inland Empire. And, you know, that team had a lot of guys who were highly talented at Camposano, Tirso Ornelas, Jason Rosario, Esther Ruiz. And, you know, going into the year, Camposano was kind of like in the mix with those guys. And you go out and you watch, and it was really, really crystal clear. It's like, this guy's the best guy on the field, like by a clear tier. It's like, okay, cool. Like, definitely keep that in the back of my mind. Let's see how the year progresses. You know, I watch him just kind of tear through the league. I come back in June, it's like, Yep, this guy is still the best guy on the field, um, you know, and, and that was something that was just really cool to see, and I got to know him a little bit. Um, he really blossomed, you know, talent-wise, but also just to, as a person. He's more of a, a quiet, keep-to-himself type, and last year he really started to, you know, open up a little more, um, be more familiar with with media, teammates, you know, all, all of it. So you just saw a young guy really blossom both as a as a player and as a person, and um, you know. I, with how hard he was hitting the baseball, it doesn't surprise me he got up quick. Now, catchers, you know, you always kind of take the under on the timeline just because catching is so difficult and such a grind physically and mentally. Um, but but the bat very clearly was special. And it doesn't shock me that he's up here, you know, making his debut as a DH. Again, how much he catches, we'll have to see. But um, he's a very special hitter and, and a very fine catcher who continuously is improving. So you you mentioned the defense. That was kind of the the book on him was that the bat was ahead of the glove. He was making a lot of advances uh, throughout last season. Uh, but w- what's your take on how his defensive skills line up right now, and how do, what do you think his role is going to be now that the Padres have three catchers on their staff? Yeah, I would say it would be very surprising if they uh, put him behind the plate as their primary catcher. Again, I think we should expect to see Austin Nola and Jason Castro get. A lot of the reps, and he can obviously play his way into more. Really, it's it's the bat that's special. Um, defensively, he's been trending in the right direction. Uh, one of the things with him um, two years ago was his framing was considered a quote-unquote, you know, it, it was negative on all the various metrics. He worked hard to transform that into a positive last year, and it continues to trend positively. Um, this year at the alternate site camp, everyone talked about, you know, the framing was better. The throwing was better. He came into camp a little bit lighter this year, um, and he really was able to just be, you know, a little quicker out of the crouch. Um, just, just all the things you wanted to see. And, and one shortcoming of his last year was he had a lot of arm strength, but he tried to do the Benito Santiago thing and throw from his knees a lot. 
And more often than not, the ball ended up in center field. Like he did it when he didn't need to do it. There were times where like, yeah, if it's a fast runner, you know, go ahead. But there are times he did it for, you know, whatever reason and, and just was not the right call. Um, but this year at the alternate site camp, you know, talking to Potter's officials, they said he really made a lot of strides. He really, uh, the, the Potter's brought in a new catching coordinator uh, whose name is escaping me right now. And I feel terrible because I want to give him credit. Uh, but apparently, uh, Luis really, really kind of vibed with him. They were able to, you know, work together and really improve just every aspect of his defense. And uh, it's a testament to the kid for putting in the work and yeah. uh, the Padres minor league development staff for for helping him kind of come along developmentally. Absolutely. We're so go real quick with the go ahead with the framing. Uh, is there a framing metric that is available for minor leaguers? I know that that a lot of that data is not published, but I haven't heard uh, of that. A lot of teams um, are trying to measure it themselves. A lot of teams have internal, you know, systems where they are measuring minor league catcher's framing abilities. Now, it's very early in the technology, and there's some questions about how reliable it is. But yes, a lot of teams have been trying to do that. You know, every every time I went up last year to Lake Elsinore, uh, he was the first one out. Like he was the first one out there doing drills with with coaches and out there by himself and putting in the work and it, it really as you said it really it really uh, showed up. That's excellent. So let's move on. They just announced instructs are going to be they're going to have instructs this year. Uh, they can get together as soon as September eighteenth. Is is that still a, is that a good idea? Yeah. So again, some of it comes down to, you know, whether or not teams are going to be able to, you know, kind of effectively bubble these guys, keep them safe. Um, different teams are kind of kind of putting together different plans for what exactly they're going to do. Um, we're tracking it at Baseball America. Once we have more comprehensive list, uh, I believe we're going to put it out there. Josh Norris, my colleague, is in charge of compiling that right now. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you always want to keep in mind, you know, health and safety is, is the very, very, very foremost thing that everyone wants to be, you know, taking into account right now. Um, but if you can do that, yeah, I mean, development for these guys, especially after a year away is really, really important. By the way, I want to circle back. Ryan Watley is the name of the Potters uh, captain coordinator who's really kind of vibe with his campus on. I, I wanted to give him credit there. Um, but yeah, from a developmental standpoint, it's going to help a lot of guys just get caught up. You can't replace a year of game reps. It's, there's just too much that you can't really simulate in a practice environment, in an alternate camp environment, in a sim game type setup. So I think getting these guys out there, potentially playing against other teams, that will benefit these guys developmentally. No question. You just have to make sure you're smart about protocols and you keep everyone healthy and safe. Yeah. So what are those rosters going to look like with, you know, usually there's a handful of top tier guys and maybe even some several uh, top prospects, but with, with the down year minor league baseball, are they just going to chalk that full of, you know, upper level guys in the top 30 prospects, or do you think it'll be a little mixture of, of, uh, of other guys? It's going to depend on the team. I will say this is the opportunity for the guys who, didn't get a chance to go play at the alternate site camp to get reps to work with instructors. I would, ex you know, instructs generally is younger, lower level guys that, you know, rookie ball, short season realm. Again, it's going to depend on the team, but uh, my expectation, and again, just based off the very, very, very early information we've received is, yeah, a lot of teams are going to, you know, they will have some of their top 30 guys in there and, and other guys, but this is also going to be an opportunity for them to bring in those younger guys. And then a lot of teams 
so far from what we've heard do plan to do that so and you got to think that uh with you know we'll talk about this a little bit later on but with the pba negotiations with minor league baseball and major league baseball that there's potential of contraction that rosters are going to shrink so this could be like the last shot for some of these guys to uh to kind of you know make an impression really yeah, you know, a lot of these guys are always fighting for, you know, a higher spot on the pecking order and in some cases their jobs. But look, my, there will be fewer minor league teams next year. That is cut and dried. We've been reporting that at Baseball America for a few months now. Uh, minor league baseball kind of dropped their their demand for more just after everything with the pandemic. So there will be 120 teams. There will be no short season leagues outside of the complex leagues. There will be guys who lose their jobs because when you have, you know, four full season affiliates and one short season affiliate, you, you don't need, you know, the 30 to 60 extra guys you'd have to fill your short season affiliate, your second rookie ball affiliate. Um, the specifics of exactly what it's going to look like are still being worked out, what teams, what cities, but there will be fewer teams and thus fewer players. That is a slam dunk going to happen. So back to instructs for a second. I saw in one of these reports a mention of, of, of games between squads. Is that typical with fall instructs that they'll play against teams from other organizations? Yes, that is typical. Interesting. So let's go back to the alternate sites. How much, you know, how much development is really going on there? I would suspect, and this is just an uneducated mind here that would say, you're going to see the same five or six pitchers, maybe, maybe 10 guys that, you know, you're going to get to see these guys a lot. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. A lot of the alternate site rosters, if you look at them, are like 17 pitchers, three catchers, <laughs> four infielders, and two outfielders. So the hitters are seeing a little bit of a variety of pitchers. And, and there's been guys that are coming and going. But on the whole, as, as we've reported at BA, it's not a real game environment. It's a lot of four or five inning type games. You have coaches and instructors and clubbies playing spots, you know, whether it's in the outfield or second base, just because there's not enough position players to field a full team. Um, guys are just going up, getting a bats. It's not, you know, actual three out situation. It's, it's kind of like backfield early spring training. It's, it's not really a game environment. Um, again, some of these young hitters absolutely benefit from seeing in some cases, you know, guys who are older than them, you know, one of the things with Camposano, this is more summer camp than the alternate site, but one of the things that was highly encouraging was he was having great at-bats against, you know, the big leaguers, Chris Paddock and all those other guys. And, you know, that showed you something, C.J. Abrams, same thing. And now those guys who had yet to play above A-ball, they're facing guys with AAA time or in some cases major league time at the alternate yeah. site camp. That tells you something when they're able to hang with those guys. Um, but aside from those individual matchups of the lower level guy holding zone against the upper level guy, it's hard to draw too many grand conclusions from what's going on at the alternate site. Yeah, I made a couple of the, uh, they had the alternate site games, the inner squad games open to the public. And I made several of those and got to see Hassel, got to see Hudson Head go up against Chris Paddock. And, you know, Hassel would have had a, a crisp single up the middle if Fernando Tatis wasn't Fernando Tatis. Um, and they had really, even though we're out there deep in center field, they had very comfortable at bats and they were, they were hanging in there and see Abrams as well. And, uh, it was, uh, it was really encouraging to see those guys so young playing against, uh, you know, major league pitching. So it makes me wonder, we just saw this whole wave of trades and, uh, one of my personal favorites is Jason Rosario. I got to know him a little bit at Lake Elsinore and they traded him away. I'm wondering if he might've gotten passed up a little bit 
having guys like Hudson Head and Robert Hassel III in camp with all these guys, that they're getting this development. Um, so do you think that that's happening? You're seeing guys getting passed up by younger people that are in camp? Yeah, I mean, it was very, very telling which players got brought to camp over other players at the outset. You know, seeing Tukapita Marcano and Hudson Head being brought to camp from the outset while Hudson Potts, who's played at higher levels, was not, that tells you something. A lot of teams kind of told us how they viewed a lot of their prospects internally. And again, it's not perfect because a lot of teams, you know, brought up, you know, AAA depth arms who they could use in the majors this year. And other guys are going to be brought into the fold eventually. So, so you don't want to go too crazy on it. But it was certainly eye-opening to see, in this case, the Padres, a team who were bringing a lot of young players who they brought, who they didn't bring. Um, and look, Rosario and Potts are, are two talented players. They both have things they need to work on. But again, it, it had become clear that there were other guys that had kind of moved ahead of them as far as the Potters were concerned in the pecking order. All right. So, well, you know, we were talking about just a minute ago. The PBA ends at the end of this month. How um, negotiation and negotiation just seem to be really bad as reported through Baseball America. When does a deal need to be done or does it have to be done or is there a timeline for it to get done? So the current PBA, which is the agreement that governs the relationship between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, expires September 30th. So 26 days from now from this recording. In a perfect world, there's a new agreement struck before that and it goes into effect as soon as the old one expires just because that agreement is set to expire on that date does not mean an agreement can't be reached later. You know, the agreement expires, maybe they come together in November. So it's not like it's a drop dead date where as soon as that date hits, the minor leagues, as we currently know it, are, are changed forever. There are still negotiations that can take place after the expiration. There's still a deal that can be struck later in the calendar. Um, but, you know, there's really, you know, most people think there's really going to be two scenarios here. One is they reach an agreement in which Major League Baseball assumes control of the operations of the minor leagues. They strip the number of affiliated teams down to 120. They get rid of all short season leagues outside of you know the complexes, AZL, GCL, and Dominican Summer League. And that's part of an agreement. Or Major League Baseball says, you know what? We don't even need you. We're just going to set up our own system and we're going to go talk to the Durham Bulls and the Dayton Dragons and all of these really successful franchises and say, hey, you want in? And they're going to jump at the chance to say, yeah. So the optimal arrangement would be for an agreement to be struck. But if there isn't, Major League Baseball can kind of say, all right, here's the minor league franchises we like. We're setting up our own system. Come and join us. Wolf, you know, and they do, they do hold all the cards, they hold all the players, they hold all the powers kind of in their hands. What, you know, in between us and the, in the, uh, in our little chats and our, and our friends on, uh, in our community here, what is the national kind of, uh, sense of Major League Baseball? How are they looking, uh, doing this to Minor League Baseball? Um, you know, there, there's, there's obviously a lot of people who are very, very concerned about what this is going to do. The truth is, and this is, this is, a hard truth I think a lot of people aren't talking about, um, but those of us who have traveled the country, been to minor league stadiums around the country, um, there are a lot of minor league stadiums that frankly are in awful shape. I mean, we're talking truly decrepit stadiums 
in communities where the local population just doesn't care that they exist and doesn't show up and in which ownership of the minor league team is indifferent at best. Uh, there's one story that, that we have at BA of a team whose washing machine and dryer broke and ownership just said, eh, we're not going to fix it. So the players didn't have clean uniforms the rest of the year. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. they, they're just spraying it down with the anti-stain stuff. I mean, there are some truly wonderful minor league parks across this country. There are also a lot that are not, and and frankly, I have long felt should not be in business. And I say that as someone who loves baseball, covers baseball, covers prospects, wants to see the game grow. I mean, there's a certain level of um, professionalism that you have to attain, you know, and a lot of minor league teams were not reaching that. So to be honest, you know, we've had this conversation, those of us at BA, a lot of us are actually okay with them reducing the number of minor leagues, uh, minor league teams and getting rid of some of these leagues, which are kind of repetitive. Right. And we have spoken to a lot of baseball, a lot of people in baseball who also feel that way. However, the initial list Major League Baseball put out is, is going to change. But there are some decisions that were made just based off that initial list that were not optimal getting rid of teams in places like Montana where there is no other professional baseball around is not smart that those, you know, and some of the minor league teams I talked about cutting off that initial list. And again, I can't repeat this enough just because they're not, they were on that initial list right. does not mean their affiliation, but there were some teams on there that do draw, you know, 3000 fans a night that they're talking about cutting while, you know, the Florida state league where, most of the league, or I believe it's at least half the league, struggles to drive in a thousand a night is kept in existence. That's where it gets kind of, you know, is this the right way to go about this? Right. I think you can, you can find 40 affiliates to cut, but a lot of the affiliates they're talking about cutting are not the ones they should be cutting. Right. So this last, this last September, my wife and I, I got family that lives outside of Tennessee. That's why I'm wearing my, my Music City uh, baseball shirt. You know, we went to Rome, Georgia, and then we saw the lookouts, and it's night and day. Although the the game that we went to in Chattanooga, uh, it was a makeup. We went to the first game, was the makeup of last night's game. It had very few attendants, but the you know the field, the stadium was much much older. You went down to Rome, and it was packed. Granted, they had two major leaguers that were in rehab, but the stadium looked brand new, looked fresh. The field looked great, uh, and you know when you go to Double A, and you would think higher the level higher quality the facility and that just kind of doesn't seem to be the seem to be the case and i and i've seen several of the appy league stadiums um i don't, I don't want to call it a specific name or, or but they do they there's lots there to be desired even for a professional baseball player again i think that it's important to keep baseball in cities where baseball professional affiliated baseball is not easily accessible. And that's where there's a little bit of a, of a conflict here. You know, Major League Baseball has talked about geographic location, and I agree with eliminating the 14-hour bus rides. Um, but some of these places that are remote, it's also important to keep professional affiliate baseball there because if the nearest Major League team is five hours away or four hours away, as we see, you know, I talked about Montana, you know, some of those teams up, up in the Northwest, some of those teams in, you know, the South of Kentucky, Tennessee ranges where teams are, are many hours away, you know, it's important to keep some semblance of professional baseball there. So I think that finding that balance of, okay, we, we need to keep travel reasonable, 
but we also want to keep baseball in remote places so it's not it doesn't die out. Yeah, it's a tricky balance to strike, and I'll be curious to see how Major League Baseball strikes it once the official 40, 42, 43 team list does come out. So uh, these teams have to pay a, a licensing fee. I'm not sure what the proper term is, but they have to pay a fee to Major League Baseball to be an affiliate. Um, this, that's my understanding. And at the same time, a lot of these teams are, are cash strapped. They have a hard time investing in the player facilities, you have batting cages and locker rooms and all that. It seems like there's a little bit of a, of a conflict. You've got Major League Baseball making all this money, and yet Minor League Baseball has to pay up to to their daddy, to Major League Baseball. Meanwhile, they're having a hard time maintaining their facilities to the standard that Major League Baseball is requiring. Um, has there been any discussion of adjusting how that relationship works? Well, so the way it currently works, minor league baseball teams, uh, there's a there's a ticket tax. So they pay 8% of their ticket sales to Major League Baseball. That's, that's the entirety of the revenues MLB collects directly from the minor leagues. It's that 8% ticket tax. Um, but under this new proposal, minor league baseball also sends 0.5% to the minor league offices in St. Petersburg. Under this proposal, that goes away. So all 8.5% would go to MLB. Look, minor league teams are much, much, much less cash, you know, revenue rich than major league teams are. A lot of minor league teams have talked about if they have, you know, five or six rainouts, that's often the difference between finishing in the black versus finishing in the red for the year. They don't have the same level of revenue streams. By the same token, you understand major league baseball's frustration where, you know, hey, we need you guys to build you know weight rooms that are not you know health hazards and if the team says well we don't have the money to do it i understand major league baseball's position of okay well if you don't even have the money to provide that why sh- why should we do business with you right right so again it's it's part of the relationship that um major league baseball wants to have more control so they can really make sure everything is up to proper standard and, and enforce it, because right now it's minor league baseball who sets the standards. And if Major League Baseball feels like those standards aren't being met, they have little recourse other than to just switch affiliates every you know two years whenever the uh, affiliation agreement is up. Now that entire agreement system is going to potentially, under the latest proposal, become a licensing agreement where it's a longer term, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years even potentially. And... Major League Baseball is just going to have a lot larger hand in ensuring everything is up to the standards they want it to be. And then uh, I saw really reported in, in Baseball America that teams can fall out of that and teams can build up to that and they can be kind of switched out in and out if, if they do not meet standards or if a team that didn't meet standards before meets standards then it can be moved up. It's almost like that, yeah? Yeah, so basically... There's a lot of, again, a lot of this has to be worked out. There's, right, there's right. You know, proposals have to be fair. So I hesitate to say this definitively what it's going to be. Um, but I, I, again, JJ Cooper has been the point man on reporting on this. Um, I would go back and check his, uh, his reporting, but my understanding is potentially, yes, you know, teams, again, if they don't keep up the facility standards, you know, when licensing agreements comes up, Major League Baseball can say, all right, we're going to go find someone else, which, again, having the power to do that, you know, is 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 powerful. Now, reportedly, minor league teams whose facilities don't meet the upgraded facility requirements the proposal would have time to make the required improvements. It's not like, 
oh, you don't do it, we're out of here. Right. But again, the improvements need to be made. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And, and and I appreciate your answers. And we're not trying to sit here and bash Major League Baseball because we're a minor league pay, podcast. But And so I appreciate you, uh, you answering these questions. So, you know, the, the commissioner's plan of the one baseball, you know, I hate this. It seems a kind of little evil master planish to me where all levels of, you know, even the collegiate leagues, even the, you know, the uh, organizations like Perfect Game and the Area Code Games, where Major League Baseball already has kind of a hand in there, but it's going under the one umbrella of Major League Baseball, just kind of seems a little imperialistic to me. So I understand Major League Baseball wanting to have greater oversight over some of how these entities are are running things, just given, you know, a a lot of teams, you know, these the players are drafting, they want to ensure that, they're you know everything is on the up and up um you know that they're getting the best facilities that they're you know not being overworked that their health is being looked out for i i understand it from that perspective again i i think it's hard to put a blanket statement on it because there are some organizations that run things extremely professionally whether we're talking a minor league team whether we're talking about a, a collegiate summer league whether we're talking about a uh, youth organization, whether we're talking about an international baseball organization, right. um, some some do a, a top-notch job and and are really really you know doing everything the way it should be done for for the health of the players and for the betterment of baseball as a whole. And there's others who who do not. So I understand Major League Baseball wanting to have a, a larger hand and greater oversight in that. I think a lot of the skepticism comes from there's just a lack of trust in Major League Baseball's leadership. Um, and that's something that, you know, the commissioner and the commissioner's office would do well to address head on, be as transparent as possible, you know, and in any instance of, of anything, you know, if the instinct is, you know, kind of CYA, do the opposite and be completely upfront about it because there, there's an overarching sense that Major League Baseball has not been, or I should say the commissioner's office has not been 100% forthcoming on a number of issues. And so if that's been the case in the past, why should we expect it to be the case now moving forward? I think Major League Baseball and specifically the commissioner's office would do well, particularly in this regard, to be as transparent. I want to say be as transparent as possible because that makes it subjective. Be 100% transparent, no matter good, bad, everything. Put it out there so everyone can understand and see and, and genuinely make things as good as possible for all involved. Okay, so we really appreciate you taking the time, Kyle. Um, moving on to the like the, the Dream League. So how how is that going to work? So you know you're not an affiliated ball, but you're still kind of under the umbrella of of Major League Baseball. Um, is there a way to like work up from a Dream League to to a contract, or is that going to be more the Dream League is going to be a new name for the Summer Collegiate Leagues, and they kind of take over that umbrella? How's that going to work? How's the Dream League going to work? So the most recent proposal did not include the Dream League. Okay. That was something that MLB floated last year. A lot of minor league operators just said no. It's it doing so would add about four hundred thousand dollars a year to their yearly expenses, and that's just not something they could afford. So realistically, we're probably looking at the players who are left out are just going to have to go to likely you know ex- likely go to existing independent leagues. Yeah. Um, and and you know. Just as teams scout the independent leagues now and sign players out of there, it 
be the same with with a larger talent pool moving forward after this uh, this season. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, it does kind of make sense. And and I said this last podcast, I'm going to get fired from my own podcast for saying this, but it does make sense to the contraction. There's so many players that really don't. You know, the rarely do you have that story that a guy makes it after the 25th round that is an impact player or even a role player in, in Major League Baseball. So it does, from a business sense and a overall just to, you know, bubble up that talent a little bit tighter uh, to, to make it, to cut all the, you know, cut so many teams playing, so many, you know, kind of organization type players playing around the few guys that, you know, have a really good shot. So we kind of understand that. Uh, it's just, it's tough to see this, you know, in the small communities that don't have any other baseball in the area, like you said before. It's just tough to see that. Um, let's move on to the trade. So let's, AJ Preller is just, I mean, he's a rock star. Really is a rock star. The guys that he got rid of, um, the guys that he traded away, um, really didn't have much you know, didn't, there was nowhere for them to play. Like you Gabriel Arias is you know, there's a third baseman at third for the Padres right now that's going to play third base or shortstop and even second base. So, um, you know, what do you see with, with the players that he he got rid of? Yeah, I mean, and this is why you build a tremendous amount of organizational depth that's well rounded, so that you have really good prospects you can trade without it hurting your future outlook. You know, again, Gabriel Arias, Owen Miller, Joey Cantillo, all these guys are very, very solid prospects. But the Padres have now Tatis Jr. at shortstop. They have now Jake Cronenworth at second base. So there's Miller and Arias. And they have a tremendous amount of pitching. Now, you can never have too much pitching, but you are able to trade an arm. And and they can trade Joey Cantillo without it significantly altering their long-term outlook because they have so many other good pitchers. Um, you know, realistically, the guy that you could say, you know, not having him would, you know, quote unquote, hurt their outlook the most is really Cal Quantrill, just because that Swiss Army knife role of him, you know, being able to start long relief, short relief, you know, came out and close this year as needed. I mean, that, that's a valuable weapon to have that you can be the Padres bullpen right now, even after all the other trades, does not have. And it'd be nice to have someone like that for the foreseeable future. But when that's, probably the biggest piece you're losing and you can go get a front of the rotation caliber starter, Mike Clevenger. Yeah. You make that trade, you trade up that every day. Yeah. So, you know, again, the, I've seen some people try and say the Padres didn't give up a lot. D- don't kid yourself. They gave up talent. Cal Quantrill is talented. Josh Naylor, if he, you know, gets out of Petco park and they stop messing around with him in the outfield, just put him at first base on folks on hitting, there's more to unlock there. The three prospects are talented. They did give up talent. Yeah. But the Padres, like you said, and as is I've laid out, they don't need those guys because they have other talent that's greater, and they can get someone of this caliber. You make this trade every day. Absolutely. You know, yeah. just thinking, you know, they picked up trailer, uh, Taylor Trammell last year, kind of, in my opinion, kind of because Will Myers was struggling so much. So getting Taylor would have been – Almost a, 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 to hedge the bet uh, on a continuing struggling Will Myers. But then they got Tommy Pham and then Grisham in the outfield. So there kind of was nowhere for him to go. And I think that trade almost does him a favor because he's going to have somewhere to go in Seattle. They're rebuilding. They're not that far away, I, I don't think, uh, prospect-wise. So he there is a bright future for him with the Mariners. I just, after this last season with getting those guys, 
that there really wasn't anywhere for him to play too much in the future? Eh, I don't know about that. I mean, I felt like when Tommy Pham, whose contract is up, um, you know, he's a free agent 2022, so I have him this year and next year. You know, Trammell is kind of the natural guy who would slide into left field to replace him. But, yes, I mean, he's he's going to a rebuilding team where he can, you know, take his time, develop as he needs. The Mariners have some really good outfield prospects. We've seen Kyle Lewis come up and become, you know, one of the favorites for American League Rookie of the Year this year in center. You have Jared Kalanick and Julio Rodriguez coming up behind him. So, so Trammell's going to have to fight. Um, but, again, there's just so few catchers who can legitimately hit. Austin Nola can legitimately hit. Yeah. And if you have that guy, you're in an advantage over a lot of others in Major League Baseball. So, you know, even if it was um, an overpay just in terms of a top 100 prospect, a really good potential future closer in Andres Munoz, a, a nice, solid, big league bench bat in Ty France, and a, you know, strong defensive catcher who has a chance to hit Luis Torrens. I mean, that's, you know, if there's one deal you want to argue the Padres overpaid on, th- this is the deal. But again, to get a catcher who can hit, and if Austin Adams comes back healthy, it's what the Potters needed, and and they can still, you know, come out of this trade looking really good, even if they don't, you know, quote unquote, win the trade from a WAR perspective or where else you want to measure it. Yeah, we already saw Dan Altavilla last night, and he looked better than I expected. Of course, the last time we saw him, he got roughed up pretty well. Um, what I, what I take away from this trade is that they made the moves to fill the holes on the major league roster, but what they're, what they've sacrificed a little bit is the depth. And I think that's where you, we were looking at guys like Taylor Trammell, um, and even like Josh Naylor, uh, and, and, uh, Ty France, they were filling that depth role at the major league level, as well as next year and beyond. So now there's that that lack of depth at the double-A, triple-A level that they're going to have to address this offseason. But you know what? Let's go for it. What the heck? Again, I mean, this is what you do. You keep your top guys and you trade the depth. That's what every winning, successful team does. You know, you look at the guys the Astros traded. You can build a roster of prospects the Astros traded. <laughs> to go get, and a pretty good roster, by the way. But it got them, you know, Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke and Garrett Cole and Brian McCann and all these guys, you know, McCann and Verlander helped them win the 2017 World Series. They don't win it without those, you know, Cole and Greinke helped them get back to the World Series in 2019. I mean, this is this is the natural cycle. When you, you start a rebuild, you amass prospects for about four years, not year four. That's typically when it's time to strike. Your top guys have gotten to the majors. Time to start trading the depth for big leaders to help you out. This is... You know, the tried and true cycle we've seen over and over and over again. And this is what the Padres are doing. And, and it's the right moves. Well, Kyle, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we want to welcome you back to California. I know you just moved here back from uh, from Durham. Uh, yep. You got the heat here. Maybe not the humidity that they have in, uh, in Durham. But um, we want to welcome you back. We're definitely hoping to see you um Next year in Lake Elsinore and wherever else we can find you in minor league baseball. What are you working on right now or what do you got going on? Yeah, so right now uh, I'm just working on a couple features for the magazine, including one that Padres fans will really, really like. Wink, wink. So keep uh, keep your eye out for uh, next month's issue of Baseball America. Uh, no spoilers? Uh, uh, no spoilers, but just keep an eye out. You guys will like it. Um, yeah, so just, really just kind of grinds my way on that. You know, it's, it's one of the cool things at BA is, um, you know, we're, we're still putting out a, a great magazine. You know, obviously the website's a big part of what we do, but 
uh, so many places have, have stopped producing a print product. And I think it's, it, you know, it's not the same, you know, the, the, everything that we're able to put out that you can hold in your hand, you know, from the amazing photography we have to the graphics that really lay everything out for, for fans to understand. Um, it's, it's a big part of our operation that we take a lot of pride in. So I uh, would just say, keep an eye out for next month's issue of BA and, uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming in there. I'll have a, a couple different bylines, but uh, let me just say that the main story is going to be one Potters fans are going to like. <laughs> All right. Well, you All hear right. that, guys? Those of you who don't subscribe, you better subscribe now. Drop the cup of coffee. It's only uh, it's only varying tiers of of subscription, but I certainly um, push to for you guys to do that. Kyle, thanks a lot, bud, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Boom. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I. Uh, Totally. When I was talking to you guys, I tweeted out, Luis Camposano is making his debut last night. I don't just multitasking. And by the time I caught it, too many people had retweeted and clicked on it. So now I had to Ugh. correct myself. So I get for tweeting while multitasking. It never works out well. Well, I, I misspell words all the time and my wife writes for a living. So um, I get dragged on Twitter by my own wife. So it's... Uh... Welcome to my life. I know you're a professional and you do that for a living, but uh, certainly um, welcome. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I'm happy to join you anytime. 